Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Joining me today is Andrea and Kim with the IF Project. The IF Project is a collaboration of law enforcement, current and previously incarcerated adults, and community partners focused on intervention, prevention, and reduction in incarceration and recidivism. Our work is built upon and inspired by people sharing their personal experiences surrounding the issue of incarceration. The question that is asked, if there was something someone could have said or done that would have changed the path that led you here... What would that have been? Welcome, Kim Boguki and Andrea Anderson from the IF Project. We're so glad to have you here today. Which one of you wants to start with telling us about the project? Hi, Lori. Thanks so very much for having us. I think Kim should start. Kim, you're the founder, right? This this was your I, baby. I am the founder, yes. It, it, it was my baby. still kind of my baby, so yes. The project started back in 2008 when I was working on a project at Seattle Police Department and got a call from Girl Scouts Beyond Bars. I always like to do a big plug for people to buy those Girl Scout cookies because they have a great project where they actually do troop meetings with the kids inside the prisons with their parents. Really? And I got a call from them to actually meet with a group of the mothers down at Washington Correction Center for Women. So I went down there to meet with them to talk to them about working on a completely different project. I like to say when I walked in, I was definitely intimidated being in a prison. I had never been in a prison, even though, even though I had been a cop for 20 years. And I walked in the door and I was really taken aback because the women actually looked like women I would hang out with, not <laughs> maybe what I had remembered arresting for 20 years. So we started having kind of an icy conversation um, and things kind of switched when I started asking them about their kids and then they became mothers and they started, you know, sharing with me how they had their distrust of police, et cetera, et cetera, and what they had taught their kids. But somewhere in there, they started telling me their stories and I was sitting there going, wow, there's a lot of information that these women have that would be great for not just the general public, but for youth to hear that maybe would change the trajectory of their path. And I wanted to, I wanted more. So I asked that if question, which is the entire you know premise of the project, which, which is if there was something somebody could have said or done to change the path that led you here, what would it have been? And they kind of looked at me, didn't really have a lot to say. And I went back in a couple months later and um, actually spent one night in prison with the Girl Scout program. Wow. And uh, one of the women, Renata Abramson, that was a resident or an inmate there, handed me a stack of papers. And she, on her own, had asked the women to write the answers down and handed them to me. And their hope was that some kid would read them and make a different choice and not follow in their footsteps to prison. Did your heart and just say, fall into your uh, stomach? <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny. Uh, now, about 75% of the time when I tell that part of the story, I still get really emotional because it was so... It was unbelievably selfless for them to do that. They're not easy stories to read, but it, it was their truth. And it was them peeling layers back and kind of looking at their path that led to the incident that led to the incarceration, not I robbed a store and I'm here. It was like what really led up to it. So they put a lot of thought into it. And I think that's when I started really changing the way that I looked at people that are in the criminal justice system and started figuring we got to get these stories out so people understand the pathways to incarceration. Wow. That, I think that when I, I learned about you because I am a recovery coach and one of my clients, oh. you have helped tremendously. And then when I read that, as a coach, we asked the questions and so many people aren't curious. And the fact that you were curious and then it was like crickets, 
But then when you went back, you got this pile of letters that just brought me to tears. Yeah. If wouldn't be here if Renata hadn't decided to really put her distrust and hatred for the police aside, because it, you know, Renata's family is a a family that has been to prison quite often. Mm-hmm. And she decided to step out of that and realize that maybe that they could make a change from behind bars and, and step into, you know, leaving leaving probably what she was used to and wanted to, you know, do something different and man, look at what has happened 12 years later. So what has happened? We took that question and from that question and always, always, always having people at the table that have been impacted, whether they're, you know, hired by if or in um, part of an audience that we want to reach, having them at the table as we've put together and crafted the programming that if has created and that's been replicated nationally. And so Drake can talk a little bit about that. And then the other thing is, is Kathleen Horan, who's my um, really dear friend from LA, who's a documentarian, came up just to do an education piece in the men's and the women's prison and decided to keep rolling film for seven and a half years. <laughs> so we have a documentary that's traveled all over the world, even to Nigeria. As a matter of fact, we've been to the prison there. So it's just been a lot about educating people and letting people know that your story matters and that's how you can make change. And we got so big this year, we got to hire Dre, our very first executive director for the IF project, <laughs> which was awesome. Now, I know you had a fundraiser on Saturday, which my client was speaking at. And so I know that that's already passed. The fundraiser was magical and we are so excited. So many new things are happening for um, IF and it's not just the fact that they hired their first executive director last <laughs> Last year, um, but we were able to this year um, because of Kim's creativity and relationships with not only the police department but with the Department of Corrections. We were able to take the programming that Kim and the women inside of the correctional facility helped craft that really set these women up for success. That was a reentry step-by-step program to help them kind of recraft the trajectories that they want to be on. Um, we were able to take those programs that we've been privileged to run for years and make them virtual in this new world of COVID. So Kim was really um, forward thinking and was able to uh, connect some individuals. And one of our locations is the uh, women's um, work release um, Helen B. Radcliffe facility here in Seattle. And we're able to uh, make sure that that facility was fully operational with regards to laptop computers and Wi-Fi and and get them set up, not only so that we could continue offering the classes and the workshops um, that these women have helped create themselves, but so that the women could connect with their families, could do interviews, could continue to be connected to the outside world, could have doctor's appointments. That's been a big uh, piece. I know for a lot of people this year has been trying to change how we do uh, the work that we do in a virtual world. So we're really excited that we were able to pivot, I think is the word. Yeah, of the pivot, year. Is um, the, pivot is the word. Pivot early in March yes. and um, really get ahead of uh, how this strange new existence that we have. And it's been so it's well received that we're now working with some of our partners to expand the programming virtually into other facilities uh, around the region and hopefully around the state. We've also just finished our first ever strategic planning process with board and staff and volunteers and community partners looking at where IF is, how, what a vital, essential nonprofit we are in the fabric of social services in King County and beyond and how we can really grow where we're needed most. And we have a new mission statement and a new vision statement. We have doubled down and are being very intentional about being an active anti-racist organization and, and in 
2021, we will be expanding not only with additional programming, but we're going to enlarge our staffing footprint and break into the public affairs and legislative kind of uh, arena. Because while we, Kim, just is the embodiment of what it means to be a community police officer and reaching out and talking with people and bringing unique um, bedfellows, as it were, you know, together to try and make sure that these women's voices are heard and that the the issues that have been beset them are being addressed. But but also we need to look way upriver and change the actual systems that are the, the school to prison pipeline that we need to change our racist systems that have led to mass incarcerations. So we're also excited about that brand new part of our work. But it really does start and begin begin and end with the women themselves, their voices, helping co-create the very work that we're doing and making sure that they are always at the table. I love that so much because so many programs, people come in and want to help because they see a need, but they've never experienced that. And so the fact that you're allowing the experience to build the program to me is just so beautiful. I love Not just that. allowing, requiring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Lori, we've actually done something. Pr- I mean, I'm really, really fortunate to work for uh, Seattle Police Department, work for a department that we have a lot of programming that we've done that I would consider to be innovative, leading the nation in the work that we do. And it's stuff that as police departments have been on 32 years, we don't sit around with pom-poms and go, Hey, look at us over here. Look what we're doing. We just kind of do the work. And, you know, this is like the third program in my career that I've been allowed to kind of create and do. And, you know, it's the one that's gotten the biggest, but, you know, recently with everything going on, we decided to take a group of police officers virtually along with the IF Project speaking team. And the IF Project speaking team is comprised of formerly incarcerated men and women into juvenile detention and talk to the young folks there that are incarcerated and ask them if they could reimagine policing, what would it look like to them? Like get some ideas from them as we're in a, you know, we're in a critical place where we have the opportunity to change the criminal justice system. And I think that IF has been changing the criminal justice system for 12 years, but but it's interesting the language now in light of everything going on that we're actually able to use a lot more freely and have people be a little bit more engaged in what that means and listening. And I think understanding people's stories and that pathway is critical in putting a human face back on people that have been incarcerated. You know, on a side note, being a police officer, I'm not saying that we shouldn't incarcerate some people. And the unfortunate, sad part of incarceration because our system, I do not think, is built the way that it could be built, is that sometimes it's the interruption in the woman's life that she, and she will, we've heard this a lot, they will say, you know, it's what I needed just to get my, get my life together. And it's sad that it has to be incarceration. So the hope is we can get on that front end of the fire hose and do some changes early on in folks' life, especially young folks. And you know, most importantly, make sure that those young folks' voices are heard while we're trying to do this incredible opportunity of system change. I love that because as a recovery coach, I can't tell you how many times I've heard saved by jail. That's terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's ter- I mean, it's necessary because it's, I mean, it's the thing that we have right now. So right. we have the opportunity to build other avenues for referral or diversion or something like that where people can truly get help. And you know, this is a recovery coach. We can lead people to water. We can't make them drink till they're ready, but they need to know that there's a lot more options than just incarceration. And I think that having people understand the story maybe has them figure out as well where they can step in and go, you know what, I'm actually going to mentor that kid or I'm going to help over here with this organization. And you never know how big of a catalyst that can be in somebody's life. 
Right. Mentoring. I also worked with Big Brother, Big Sister for years. And I can't believe, I mean, I can believe, but mentoring makes such a difference when a kid knows they have somebody looking out for them. Somebody that thinks they're special is so incredible. The 3,000 answers to the if question, the number one is that that is the number one answer. uh, Even of the adults that they wish that they would have had when they were younger. Was a mentor? Yep. Somebody that cared, that listened, that was there. I mean, it was that was kind. Some of it was kind. Also, mm. that if you have somebody that cares, they're going to see, you know what, their clothes are kind of dirty or they look like they're hungry all the time. And, you know, and that's where the adults need to step in and really start taking a look at, you know, what's leading some of these youngsters to end up in a pattern of survival or generational poverty. And poverty is the number one indicator for incarceration in the world. It poverty. is. Yeah. Rather than judge, say, something's going on here. How might I step in? We also have a mentoring program, which I was blown away by when I first got in, came on board and learned about it because it's it's not just people stepping in wanting to support. It is a two-year commitment. We ask wow. women to step in and be there and hold space for the women who are coming out of incarceration when they're about a year from being released and then an additional year after they're out in this community because there's still a very vibrant community inside the facility. So when they come into this community, it's one of our most beloved programs. And it's also, we have to talk and make sure that when we are are recruiting mentors, and if people are interested, please have them reach out to us. We are looking for for mentors to start a new two-year commitment in January. It's not something where they have to fix or rescue or save. We just want somebody to witness us. I just need somebody standing next to me. I just need somebody to honor the fact that I'm not alone in my path and somebody is there next to me. It's really one of the most powerful programs that we have to witness these women like standing there with each other, just walking the tough stuff, trudging, as it were. One of my big pet peeves is fixing. And so often people don't know what to do, so they go there. And so it sounds like you have a great mentor training program. We do. And even, you know, in the midst of training, people still want to, this happened, can I buy this? No, that's not. Yes, that would be lovely. And there are resources, let's help. But we have a really great, strong program, a great training program, fantastic supporters and volunteers, a waiting list for folks to to get a mentor. If there are women who are interested in getting involved and if it's maybe a little bit deeper than, than just sending us a large check. Uh, we would love to talk to you more about uh, what that investment looks like for sure. And where do they go to for that? They can email me directly, Andrea at theifproject.org, or they can go to our webpage, www.theifproject.org. Okay. I called you Andrea, Andrea. You did. I still okay. call Lori, I still call her that. <laughs> I obviously respond <laughs> I to many, went, many things. <laughs> I went to Dre just to keep it simple. There you go. <laughs> I'm really fickle about names because, I mean, my names, most people pronounce it right, even if it's spelled wrong. But your name is so important to who you are. And I yes. feel like it's so important to be called by your name. So, Andrea, <laughs> I oh, apologize. Thank you. That's very kind of you. So somebody's about ready to get out of prison. They get a mentor. The Seattle Police Department has actually received two BJA, Bureau of Justice Administration, grants for reentry. And one of them we just completed about a year and a half ago, I think. And that's where we really got to focus on building a Seattle women's reentry program. Mm. So that is how IF built their program. IF was contracted to do that. And then we got a second one after that one was done, focusing on the opioid crisis that we obviously all know that exists. Yeah. Um, and I would extend that now to any any chemical substance that causes 
issue in people's lives. So do a little bit of a deeper dive into what somebody would need reentry-wise that's coming home that has some type of addiction. But what we also learned is you can give somebody housing and you can maybe give them a job, even though that's not easy when you have a felony. You haven't provided in the, in the prison system, and we do have a good relationship with Washington Department of Corrections, and we push them a lot, and they've been really great collaborative partners. If his, I would say if collaboration is its, is part of its strength, you know, with DOC, with Seattle Police Department, with Weld for Housing, we've been able to partner with a lot of organizations so that we're not all siloed doing the same things, but we collaboratively work together to get the work done. I love that. But we've been able, Freeway gets a lot more people to the city than a one-lane road, right. is what I like to say. And everybody understands their lanes, and sometimes you switch lanes and share, but you get a lot more people there, you know, on a freeway. I always say, don't reinvent the wheel. There are so many resources so, out in the yes. community. So right. yes. That's how IF got to really do a deep dive and what needed to be built and really listen to the women. We wrote the first prep curriculum that started for personal reentry education plan. And we met with the what I would call the frequent flyers mm-hmm. at the women's prison and asked them like, what didn't work? What was missing? Like, what do you need? So they actually helped write what wow. the, the prep program has become which is phenomenal. They get to take ownership of that. And it tweaks as we go along. I mean, there's a lot of tweaking that happens as new ideas come up or times change, technology changes, what have you. And the one thing I will say (laughs) is, Lori, there is no perfect blueprint. And this is where I will go down the gender responsive pathway because what we've been doing in our country has really been broad brushing what we do in the system, especially in for reentry and stuff, or even when people are incarcerated. And the pathways to incarceration for men versus women, the top four reasons for a man to go to prison versus a woman, not one thing is in common. Wow. So if you think about even programming inside, we have to be gender responsive. We have to look at a female and the needs that she has as very different from a man. And the same when you're coming home, because you have 85% of women, at least, that are incarcerated are mothers. I'm not going to say that men don't have children that aren't fathers inside, but typically when a female goes to prison, her child's going to end up in the system or at some at somebody's house. So when she comes home, it's like, oh, she's home. Here's your child. Go oh. check in with your PO. Don't forget about your LFOs, your legal fees and obligations, and you need a job and you need a place to live and you have to feed these kids. That's just a small wow. little thing. But the biggest thing is, is every single person is going to have a customized reentry plan. It can, we can't broad brush and we have to go even deeper in separating and separating the genders. That was the piece, the unique and specialized case management individual plans mm-hmm. for success that we co-craft. Like It's mm-hmm. not like, here, you need this. It's Let's sit down and look at where are some of the holes. How can we set you up for success? And one woman may need help with legal fees that are going to allow her to get her kids back. One woman might need help getting her driver's license back. Another woman might just need housing and she has job lined up. Every plan is unique, as is every woman. So I think that how we as a society have just dehumanized, stigma individuals going to prison and jail. And then when they come out, the difficulty of shedding that label has also been one of the biggest hurdles that we also work with all the women on trying to heal. It's not something that you can just fix. I mean, there's there's also a larger community awareness of you know, how we treat other and we do the othering of them. So that's another piece that we learned that it's not just the fact people are serving their sentences, but that when they get out, it's like they're rejudged over and over and over again. Right. They're not allowed to have say serve their sentence and then start again. They have to continually prove themselves. And we need to change that as a society. I love that. And sounds like by setting them up with a mentor and for them knowing you, it's like, okay, I can recommend this person for a job if you're willing to take a risk. 
So it's like they know that that somebody's sticking their neck out for them. And that gives them a little bit of confidence on either end. Some of the women who I've been privileged to talk with, and again, I am still incredibly new, but they talk so highly about Kim as being Mm -hmm. one of the first people that they actually felt heard by. Some of the women sharing their stories at our fundraising event and Kim really being, for some of these women, the very first person and person in position of authority who sat, who listened, who valued what they had to share, no matter what kind of mess that they feel like they just shared about their lives, like to be heard, to be seen. I think that we as all of us as humans just need that in our lives. And a lot of times women who are in institutions are dehumanized. And, you know, so it is our, um, on all of us to not only acknowledge the fact that these women have served their sentences and are coming out. And even while serving, they are humans and we have done a horrific job. And so being able to walk alongside these women who have so much integrity and so much grace and so much strength. I just, it's been such a, a such an honor and to, to watch them and listen to them talk about particularly Kim being the first person to hear them and it really changing how they see policing and how they see their community. It's just been an honor for sure. That is so powerful because I think there are many people that may have been willing to walk into a prison, but for Kim to go in as a police officer and say, okay, I'm listening and then to get yep. crickets, I just, that story just will sit with me forever that it's like you ask that hard question and then you walk away only to come back to somebody going, we value that. Great, I'll pay you later for all those kind comments. <laughs> Starbucks um, would be nice. I think that the thing that's interesting is it's been extremely mutual. Like this project and these women have like, they really have made me a better human being and mm-hmm. a better absolute. Absolutely a better police officer. The other thing too is there are victims out there. You know, and I know sometimes the pushback is, what are you doing with these people? They did this and yeah, blah, blah. I mean, I have friends that have done, like I come from, you know, they're, they're friends and some mm-hmm. of them are like family and they have done some things that are pretty horrific, but understanding the pathway that got them there and figuring out where to like hopefully get on the front end of somebody else going down that pathway and, and changing trajectory is enormous. And it's like, we're trying to prevent further victims by learning about what is needed early on that prevents what ends up having, having to happen down, you know, down the pipe. I think that's been extremely powerful just from the professional position of being a police officer. And in this country, when you're done with your time, you, you're never really done with your time when you have a felony. Yeah. So then you get out and you think freedom is going to be amazing. And then you got to find a job and you got to find a place to live and you got that big F attached to you like a ball and chain for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And that was, I've been in the prisons in Japan and they, they don't have to tell anybody when they got out, when they get out where they were. Yeah, but we do here. So it is a life sentence that you carry with you in some capacity. You have moms that can't go to schools and, and be chaperones for their kids right. even after they're done. You know, So there's just a lot of stuff to change because if we don't change some of those things, then I don't think anybody in this conversation, I mean, if, if I had to take care of my family I would try my darndest to do it above board. But if it came down to it, feeding my kids, I don't have any kids. I, I always say that. I just have a bunch of incarcerated <laughs> people that are my family. But I would do what I needed to do to survive. We're, that's just part of human nature. So we do kind of sometimes set people up, I think, when they come home, if, it, if the preparation isn't done right. Like letting everybody out with no game plan and no preparation is a recipe for disaster for everybody involved. But more important, that human being that just wants to come home and hopefully stay on the right track. I don't think people come home and say, I can't wait to get back. However, 
there is a small percentage that end up with so much incarceration that they get institutionalized. And that's really hard to undo. For the most part, people just want to come home and get back to living free and not ending up in this oppressive poverty place where you're doing minimum wage jobs and all these other things, because it just keeps that cycle of oppression and generational incarceration going. And also the disproportionality of black and brown people in the country that are incarcerated. That goes back to our history of slavery to Jim Crow to mass incarceration and really understanding that. And I always do a plug. If anybody wants to understand it and a little bit about what's going on, watch the documentary. 13. And then watch the project documentary. Watch 13. (laughs) Yes, because it talks about the 13th Amendment and it does put into perspective the importance of doing the work that the IF project does, but understanding historically why we are even in the position that we are to have to do this work. Well, thank you so much. We are out of time. I feel like we could talk about this forever. Kim has TED Talks, which you can can go listen to. They are fabulous. And if you want to donate or become a volunteer with the IF Project, Andrea, where do you go? Just the ifproject.org. I have not volunteered as a mentor, but as a coach to these women coming out of prison and out of drugs, it goes so fast. And, you know, like Kim, you said something about them being your friends. They are my friends. When I'm, when I'm at a coffee shop in my town, All the homeless gals throw their backpacks down, come give me hugs, well, before COVID anyway, because they know somebody believes in them. And I think that's what touched me about your project is you're setting them up not only for success, but when they get dashed, they don't get that job. There is this person that says, I see you. I know who you are. And I'm going to walk this path with you. And that just touches my heart. It would not be if without the women, men and juveniles that have put their voices and their pain in a hat. Let's figure this stuff out. And I would say for anybody out there right now, COVID, when you're sitting at home alone, like when this is all through and it changes, like, how do you want to be, how do you want to show up in the world? And how do you want to really change somebody else's life? Can we get out of the me, 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 I, 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 and get more to a we and a a collective? And I think that's how we, I hope that that's one of the silver linings that we find with COVID because everything is slowed down right now and we can really listen and we need to listen. Oh, I love that. I just want to end it with listen. It's so powerful. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Lori, for for reaching out, for being a coach, for giving us this opportunity to, to talk about what we love. So thank you so very much. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks so much for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. I know I have. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.